Hello, everyone. Welcome to Bible Discoveries, the weekend show where we discuss big questions that pop up as we're reading through the scriptures in their entirety this year. And we also aim to discuss some of your questions as well that you send us. Thank you for sending us your questions. We find them super interesting and really helpful to us to really to, to, to flesh out our own thinking as we approach the scriptures and continue reading and studying through them. If this is your first time here, my name is Corey and I'm joined by Matlock, my husband. Hey, Matlock. How you doing? Good. Want Good. to tell everyone what we were assigned to yes. this week? Because that's where we're going to be pulling our questions from. That's right. So if, uh, hopefully you read Jeremiah 32 to 52. because That's where most of the questions are, except for the big question. The big question pertains to it because it, it deals with the fall of Jerusalem, but it's a little bit different. So it, the big question is, does the temple need to be rebuilt before Christ can return? Now, we got this big question 30 seconds before we started. We did. So, we did. So <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be fun. It's going to be. Yeah, we've we're going to see where this goes. Yeah, we've got some other questions that directly pertain to Jeremiah today, so we might as well jump right in. That's right. I agree. I Corey, so. I'm gonna, you're just going to answer all the questions. Oh, I am. That's we'll how see. This is yeah, we'll go. see. We're going to see how this goes. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. Question number one deals with Jeremiah 35. All right. I'm going to flip right. there. Yeah. Who. Or the Rechabites. The Rechabites. The Rechabites. Okay, so this is a group of people. I'm just going there, like one page at a time, slowly. I apologize. Okay, so the Rechabites were were a family. I'm I'm just checking myself really. Quickly. Oh, it's good. <laughs> I like. Oh, yeah. I started like, so confidently, and I'm just making sure I'm. I'm just just checking Honestly, myself really quickly. Honestly, Rechabites. They remind. Me, it sounds like like a Star Wars um like nation, kind of like the Witch of Endor. Endor is that that moon. I just when I hear Rechabites, I'm like, that's what you think. I think this is a <laughs> this is a nation in Star Wars, right? That, yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. A, I don't know. This is okay, a bad nation. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. 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 I Ooh, I just checked myself. It is what I think. Okay, so I think sci-fi. The Rechaboots? The the, the, the Toy Rechabites. Soldiers. Toy soldiers specifically. Anyways, the Gorgonites. Anyways. I see. I, I see, see where it's coming from. Anyways, now. go ahead. I see where it's coming from now. Okay. <laughs> so the Rechabites were a family group. So they're they're a people group, but a family group specifically whose forefather, so their patriarch long ago, had made a vow. Uh, and that vow involved physical requirements. So the physical requirements were specifically not to drink wine. Um, so he was like, for all generations to come, you will not drink wine. And then from generation to generation, they had passed this ordinance on and they had followed it. Uh, so God was using this, this pagan family. They weren't Israelite. Or Judean, they were using. He was using this pagan family of the Rechabites as as really a shame to the Judeans. So he gets the prophet Jeremiah to 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 make the comparison, and he goes, "Look, these these people who were not making a covenant with the Almighty God, it was just their dad saying, don't drink wine.'" And then their granddad, and then their great granddad, and then their great 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 granddad, and then their great 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 granddad. You get the idea. It was just a man who told them not to do these things, and so they didn't do these things. They listened. How then are you who have made an, a covenant agreement with the Almighty God that has benefits for following and staying true to? 
you you can't even do these things. Like you you can't even do the the, the basic things. You've you've fallen into idolatry. You can't even do the very first rule, which was don't make idols. You, you can't even do that. So yeah, that's essentially who the Rechabites are. That's it's good. A, it's a family that lived by a code that they wouldn't drink wine. Right. And they actually did it. And so God used them as a shame against the Judeans who had everything in return from God and yet could not follow his law. Right. Though it was with the Almighty God and commanded by the Almighty God as opposed to just a guy. Right. So yeah, the Rechabites, it's a really interesting story from Jeremiah. Interesting. Chapter 35. So let me keep going here. You got this next question. <laughs> Jeremiah, <laughs> don't, don't aim yes, at me. I like I going to interrupt You're you. Like, whoa, 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 yeah, well, whoa, whoa, Before whoa, you whoa. keep talking there. <laughs> Jeremiah 44, also Jeremiah chapter 7. Who is okay. the queen of heaven? What's going uh, on here? The queen of heaven. Yeah. Okay. So this was, um, this is a generic term for um, a, a god, a goddess, who was worshipped in, in several different forms in Canaan and Mesopotamia and Egypt and the surrounding area. And essentially, she was the consort or the wife of the head god, whether that was ba uh, Baal or whether that was El or whether that was, unfortunately, Yahweh in the Old Testament. There was a lot of syncretism going on. So the Judeans and the Israelites were mixing the, the religions, the Mesopotamian religions and Canaanite religions and Egyptian religions with worship of God. And so, so they, they intermingled these ideas. And um, the queen of heaven was someone who generally women worshipped to uh, for protection. Men, men also worshipped her, don't get me wrong, but women had a special connection because she was also a, a woman, though, in God form. Um, and <clears throat> they would, we're told in, in Jeremiah 44, actually, they, they go through with their husband's blessings what, what they were doing. They were pouring, they were burning incense to the queen of heaven. They were pouring out drink offerings to the queen of heaven. Uh, and in fact, they say the, the kings and officials of Judah and Israel did this as well. So it wasn't just the everyday woman and everyday man of ancient Judah. It was also the kings and the officials hedging their bets and also worshiping the queen of heaven. Um, so incense, drink offerings, and also uh, we were making cakes impressed with her image. So uh, grain offerings in the form of cakes. So um, a lot of things associated with this goddess were protection and provision, so food and protection in childbearing and child rearing, uh, protection in general from famine and droughts and military and, and excursions and all of this, but essentially the queen of heaven is a generic term for um, many different forms of the same kind of goddess that was worshipped, believed to be the consort god of the head god, a creative force and right. um, believed to have been very powerful. And we see this in Jeremiah 44, right, that she was believed to be very powerful because Jeremiah in, in 44, Jerusalem's already fallen. They're in Egypt. Remember, Jeremiah was taken against his will to Egypt after Jerusalem and Judah had already fallen to Babylon. And God sends Jeremiah a message to, to the Judeans living in Egypt. Basically, what are you doing with all your idol worship? Did you not see that I destroyed your country 
because of this idol worship. So why are you doing this here? What makes you think you're going to escape here? And so a large assembly, like verse 15 says, then all the men who knew that their wives were burning incense to other gods, along with all the women who were present, a large assembly and all the people living in lower and upper Egypt said to Jeremiah, we will not listen to the message you have spoken to us in the name of the Lord. We will certainly do everything we said we would. We will burn incense to the queen of heaven and we'll pour out drink offerings to her just as we and our ancestors, our kings and officials did in the towns of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. Why? At that time, we had plenty of food and were well off and suffered no harm. But ever since we stopped burning incense to the queen of heaven and pouring out drink offerings to her, we have had nothing and have been perishing by sword and famine. So in other words, they're, they're saying to God, you're not protecting us, are you? You're not giving us food, are you? You're punishing us. If only we, we had just stayed true to the queen of heaven, she would provide for us. So this is the ultimate slap in the face to God that's going on in Jeremiah 44, where the people have now replaced him with who they probably viewed as his consort. Terrible. That's good. Yeah. That's good. Well, I have really not much more to add to that. Okay. All right. Well, well I think you did a good job. I'm going to ask you a question. Are now. you sure? Can I? No, no, no. Me, me, me. Okay. Before you go. Okay. Before you go. All right. <laughs> Jeremiah 51, Matlock. I'm asking you this next question. All right, sure. If vengeance is wrong, why is God vengeful? Okay. Why is God described as vengeful right. in Jeremiah 51? So in other words, how come God could take vengeance, but we can't? Yes. Right. Okay. How so, is that fair? How is that fair? Right. Well, God's the standard That's of fairness, I guess. Fair. Right. Right. Okay. So if God is truly just, which he is, right, then he can actually make true justice. If God is truly merciful, then he can truly dispense mercy at his will. That's genuine, and it's not something that we think is mercy, or something that we think is just. In other words, God can act, vent, the whole purpose of vengeance is to enact justice immediately. Let's say someone comes, kills your brother, and you want to take vengeance on this person, and you go bam, bam, and you, you kill them, um, and kill them in cold blood because they killed your brother. So this is a, eye for an, eye tooth, to, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, what, the abuse of that idea. Um, where people aren't using it as prescriptive, or as way, hey, balance justice, you're taking justice into your own hands. It's not justice itself, because God literally is the standard of justice. So when God says, I'll take vengeance, what God is saying, I'm going to be the one who uh, uh, who commits justice right. Right, above your version of justice, because your vengeance won't be satisfied, uh, and, your, and your, uh, your sense of justice is incomplete, essentially. Um, but also, as we've learned... In the New Testament, vengeance is actually not a good way of, of, of solving your problems, basically. Like, yeah, you were saying this uh, last time, that uh, if you do kill your, get vengeance, it's not going to solve the hole that's there. No. So killing, so getting vengeance doesn't fill in the hole of your lost brother that was killed. Um, you're going to have that hole there your whole life, basically, until you see him again, you know, God mm -hmm. willing that they're Christian or whatever. Um, so the whole point here is, is that God is the ultimate uh, form of vengeance. Now, these, this kind of justice comes in two different forms. There's temporal and there's ultimate. So we all know that there's ultimate justice that comes with God on, the, on judgment day when God separates the sheep from the goats and stuff like that. 
But it's also temporal. So in other words, when Israel was committing heinous sin, they were judged, temporarily judged. When Babylon was committing heinous sin, right, and they used it to judge Israel's sins, then Persia came in and judged Babylon, right? Then Greek, Greece came in and judged Persia. And it's kind of those, those temporal judgments over the sins. And then so, long story short, I think, and you can chime into this if you want to at any time, um, is that the justice itself is left to God and the justice that we need to enact isn't, you know, in a sense, in times of vengeance where we try to enact our own um, form of justice, but it's following God's law and God's words and his commands and what he's, the spirit of the law, so that we can actually be judicious and uh, uh, follow through on justice effectively in the way God has ordained it. Because once we break God's rules, then it's no longer justice. But also the vengeance, another way of looking at it is God also says that he's jealous. So it's not that he's jealous in the way that we experience jealousy, um, but he's truly genuinely good and there's no fault in him. There's, he's sinless. Mm-hmm. So this vengeance isn't the same kind of vengeance that you would think about. Um, yeah, it's simply true, genuine justice in the purest sense. Yes. Right. Yes. Uh, because the revenge that, that, that we would take, the vengeance that we would take would be polluted by, can be polluted and would be polluted by our hearts. That's right. Right. By our, by our own sinfulness. Right. So the measure of what is true and just like what you're, what, what you have said is God. Right. It's not us. Right. We, in, in, we've learned in Jeremiah 17 verse nine, right. Our hearts are deceptive above all else. Who can understand them? So, so that's pointing to like our emotions, they are deceptive to us. They will lead us in the wrong way if we're not careful and if we're not checking ourselves. God doesn't have that problem, right? His emotions as he experiences them are not tainted with sin because he is God. He is, sin is that which is away and, 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 and opposite to God's will, right? And, and, and God's ways. I should say, opposite to God's ways. Um, so he categorically cannot be that. So any vengeance that he takes is true vengeance and it's, it's, it's untainted and unspoiled by sin. Yes. I think that's the simple answer. We can answer. trust it. Yeah, that's we right. We can trust God and his goodness. That's right. Yeah. All right, Corey. I would say so. Question for you. The last question before the big question. All right. When and how did Jeremiah die? I actually wish I could answer this question. We do not know. Um, the Bible does not tell us when Jeremiah died. I mean. When was he around? What, what age? What time period? Well, time period. I mean, Jerusalem was destroyed in 586 BC. And then we know that Jeremiah, after the destruction of Jerusalem by Babylon in 586 BC, he was taken to Egypt against his will after the governor of Judah was assassinated. And Jeremiah said, no, we need to stay in the land. Everyone's like, what are we going to do? Someone assassinated the governor. That's rebellion against the Babylonian empire. Nebuchadnezzar is going to come back here. He's going to kill us all and resettle the land with other people groups. That was the fear. And it was a legitimate fear. I mean, it's not as if Nebuchadnezzar hadn't done that before. But Jeremiah received a word from the Lord and said, I mean, this is all in the end of Jeremiah. He received a word from God, no, we need to stay here. Everything's going to be fine. And the people did not listen to Jeremiah. They dragged him along with them to Egypt. Uh, 
where he, you know, after the, the, the few um, chapters that he writes where he's prophesying to the people in Egypt, he's never heard from again in the scriptures. So we don't actually know what happened to Jeremiah. Uh, he pro more than likely he passed away in Egypt. That's all, all right. I got. Didn't he prophesy against going to Egypt too? He did, yeah. Yeah. He said, don't, don't. go to Egypt. And the people were like, joke's on you. Oh, not only man. are we not staying here, we're going to Egypt and you're coming with us. Oh, poor Jeremiah, everything. He, when he was old too. Yeah. Like we're told he was an old man when Zedekiah put him down into a cistern, right? right. Because I think it's Ebed-Melech goes to King Zedekiah and says, he's an old man. He's going to die in that cistern. You want this on your head? Right. Zedekiah on everything else? And to Zedekiah's credit, he's like, okay. Get him out. Just don't tell anyone. Right? And and All so right. we know that Jeremiah was an old man when he went to Egypt. So how much longer he lived? I don't know. Corey? That's Matt a good Long? answer. And today might just be the shortest episode in the weekend show's history, which is very really? short. Okay. It's a very short history, but still. <laughs> this is what? Yeah. Episode 31. Is it? There yeah. we go. There it is. And because of that. And one of those was live, so I mean, does it even count? It's true. No, it counts. Can we keep it, it to 31 minutes? That's the question. Under? Under 31. Definitely. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Big question. Big does the question. temple need to be rebuilt before Christ can return? And okay. What? Go ahead. <laughs> Lay it on me. I want to hear it. Okay, so I think this 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 question pertains because we end with the destruction of Jerusalem, right? Yes. So then everyone's looking forward to the rebuilding of Jerusalem, which of course happens in history. But the temple was destroyed as well. We know that the temple was rebuilt. I'm just going through some history. No, that's good. Really I, you need to. The temple was rebuilt about 70 years, well, 70 plus years later with the return of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, to... Uh, to Jerusalem during the time period of the Persian Empire. So the Median Persian Empire takes over Babylon uh, only after 70 years. Uh, and then we go through the whole time period of the intertestamental time where the temple is still there. Um, and sometime before Jesus Christ is born, Herod the Great begins his great renovation project of this second temple in Jerusalem and makes it all fabulous. Christ's ministry happens, Christ is born, Christ's ministry happens, and then the temple is destroyed again in AD 70 and has not yet been rebuilt, although Israel has become a physical nation once again, an actual nation once again recently. It was, what, 1948 was officially established. Um, and yeah, the Temple Mount is not within Jewish control currently, but I, there, there's always rumblings, right, of, of, of people trying to figure out how the temple could be rebuilt. Right. And do you know why this temple needs to be rebuilt? What in particular is the reason why? Yeah, well, you see it in Ezekiel, right? So yeah. it depends on how you interpret uh, the, the, the book of Ezekiel. But you see Ezekiel, um, I mean, you, 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 go to, you go to Ezekiel chapter 40, which talks about the temple area being restored yes. and, and Ezekiel goes around and he's measuring the temple. Um, and then also when you have, um, when you look at, okay, so that, that's one thing, okay? Yeah. Ezekiel is one thing. Ezekiel 40 or 48, yeah. Yes. Um, when you hop over to Revelation, um, 
I know there's different views on Revelation, but the idea of the Antichrist and you mix it with Daniel. Eschatology is not my forte, guys. But when you look at Daniel and when you look at Revelation, it um, in certain interpretations of it, it appears that the anti that it appears that there are sacrifices going on in the temple that are stopped by the Antichrist. And so the idea is that um, if the Antichrist is stopping sacrifices in the temple, there needs to be a temple. Right. So. Right. That's the idea. Right. Now, now, a lot of views of the end times don't believe that a temple has to be rebuilt. Um, but I think what's really interesting, what, what no one, regardless of your view of what needs to ha what's going to happen in the end times and what needs to happen first, it's tremendously interesting that Israel is a nation again. No one saw yes. that coming. No. no yeah. one for, 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 you know, a couple thousand years. That's right. It's kind of like, well, the we true Israel is not the nation of Israel. So we're okay. According to Romans. Right. Right. But then Israel as a nation happens again and everyone kind of goes, Oh, what? Right. What's going on there. Oh, that's interesting. That's really interesting. So there's this idea that the temple needs to be, the temple will be rebuilt. And then, um, the, the series of the end times will begin and Christ will come back. Right. Based off of a great evil that will arise in opposition to Israel as descendants of Abraham. Right. Interestingly enough, in the news, apparently uh, like 10 years ago, it would have been a conspiracy theory to talk about a temple being rebuilt. But apparently now it's as mainstream in Jewish society to talk about a temple being rebuilt. It's like been normalized where people are just talking about, yeah, we need a new temple. Well, I mean, so like the, t um, the Temple Institute has been a thing. It, I, it probably, it probably, I don't know, because obviously I'm not Israeli and right. I don't have my finger on the pulse of that of at course, all. Right. But I do know that the Temple Institute was established like before, either around or before 1986, because they began training Levitical priests right. from birth and from young childhood or from birth. In 1986, I believe they have a website, but they've got all the things ready to go and people trained to, to, to do this. But yeah, maybe maybe what you're referring to is like it wasn't as it wasn't as it wasn't mainstream. Is mainstream what I was saying, and now it's it was kind of the hope for it. Yeah, people were talking like it was never in the mainstream news. People were like, oh, OK, that's a bunch of, let's say, Orthodox Jews and extreme uh, Judaizers or whatever you want to call them. Right. Uh, who want this to happen, right. but it's not popular in Israel, well, but it's and, become popular as of recent. Yeah. And, and, and I mean, when, certainly when you look at the politics of Israel, when you look at the surrounding politics and even the politics just of Jerusalem itself and the Temple Mount and the tensions that go on between Jews and Muslims and Christians, it seems like a mess that is impossible to reconcile. But there have been some really interesting peace talks in recent years. Right. Um, so who knows what could happen? Who knows what could happen? But I think, I think, I think to answer the question, does the temple need to be rebuilt, rebuilt for Christ to come back really depends on what God's redemption of Israel looks like. Because when you go into Romans chapter 11, where, where, where the apostle Paul is making this distinction between not all Israel is Israel, which I know mm. is very offensive to, to Jews today, where they're talking about not every descendant of Abraham is Israel, right? But 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 how the Gentiles, were, the Gentile believers were grafted in, and other uh, branches of the tree were locked off. Um, 
Paul talks about how this is also a mystery because it's a partial, a partial hardening has come upon Israel proper, the Jews, mm. for a time. But how that is only for a time until the fullness of the Gentiles will be realized. Right? So right. there is a mystery here. So honestly, with this question, for me, this is a who's to say. Right. This is a potentially, but potentially not. It's who's to say. It depends on what you and think God's plan for the the physical descendants of Israel actually is. Or, or it is, yeah, yeah. It, I guess your your belief depends. But yes, this the is, well, yeah, yes, yes I know I mean. what you mean. I know what you. I'm your just being answer nitpicky. would depend on that. Yes, yes, <laughs> I know what you're saying. Um, yeah, I'm looking at this because. I'm not too familiar. We're like, we'll have to this, we'll have to talk about this topic again. It'll have to be another big cue for another day. Just remember this. This will be another question we use another time. Because we're I, gonna get there. Like we've got lots of time. We've got Ezekiel. We've got Daniel. Yes. I mean, if we really need a really long time, so, we've got Revelation. So on the other side of things, okay, uh, God calls each individual and in each person uh, in each group of people, the collective whole of the church, His temple. Yes. So let's deal with those questions here. So if anyone just. Uh, Sorry, excuse me. 1 Corinthians 3, verses 16. Do you know that you, and that you there is plural, so yous. Do you know, do you know that yous are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within yous? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Okay, then it goes to 1 Corinthians 6. And he says, let's see where I'm at here. Do, 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 do. Yeah, there's this there's this distinction between yes. the true temple of God and the physical temple, the physical temple of Jerusalem. That's right? right. So the place where God had chosen to place his name was in Jerusalem. It was represented by the temple and God destroyed it because he decommissioned the temple. That's right. right? We know that from the Bible for the first time and from the second time it you imply it. Right? Well, Christ prophesies it in you know Matthew 24, he prophesies it that it's going to fall and that it's a decommissioning, right? right. It's a rejection of the Messiah. Um, but there's no scripture written afterwards it, about that. So, Or the destruction of the temple, which would be definitely, I think, would have made it in had there been survived, yes. right? So then you have um, uh, uh, chapter 6, verses 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. For you're bought at a price to so glorify God in your body. Okay, so individually, we are the temple, but also corporately, we're the temple. So you have that double dynamic there. So the question is, can this temple that, all right, be a reference to Christianity in any way? Um, so instead of it being a second temple that's required, could it be like the sacrifices of your heart, like a, uh, a broken and contrite heart is no longer happening? How does how I don't think that works because when you right. look at when you look at Revelation where the Antichrist puts a stop and Daniel where the Antichrist puts a stop to the sacrifice and it seems very physical. Yes. So, yeah, I don't think I, I think you're I think we're dealing with a different a different animal a different thing when we're talking about like the the the, the body of believers being the temple of God is a, is a different thing because we are the sacrifice we are a living sacrifice. That's right. Right, our life is a living sacrifice, kind of corporately, as opposed to right. as opposed to these like little individual things that we give God as sacrifices. Yeah, right? we're yeah. not like bringing those. So, 
Yeah. So if your body I starts, so. I think, so if I think you stop being a living sacrifice, if your body, because it's Romans 12 is present your bodies as a living sacrifice. If there, there becomes a distinction between soul and body, spirit and body, and then people start, you know, stop treating their bodies like it's a living sacrifice. So the question then becomes. Yeah, but, but, but when you're looking at the scriptures, though, it's talking about martyrdom as well. Like, yeah. like then, then we see a bunch of, we see a bunch of saints being beheaded and yeah. I don't, I don't think you can, I think that's a real big stretch to, to all of a sudden jump from, um, kind of like this esoteric, you are the temple that the antichrist is stopping your sacrifices and also he chops off your head. Like, do you know what I'm saying? Like it's, it, it, it would go from like very esoteric well, reading to a very physical reading. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. I'm just. Where it's, I think I'm playing devil's advocate here. I'm playing devil's, I just think that's inconsistent. No, I don't I think, think so because either you can one have, or the other. Well, well, is the church always just one thing? Like you have saints within the church that are truly saints, and you have other people who are nominal within the church. Yeah. But uh, well, they wouldn't be part of the temple. But the point here is that um, you have people who are true blue within the body. Is all I'm trying to say. So you would have saints and martyrs happening, even if people are. If, if generally speaking, people are falling away, mm-hmm. generally speaking, not like 100% of the, of the church is given into mm-hmm. idolatry. Um, anyways. I don't think that you can explain the scriptures in Daniel using that model. Pull it up. Do you, do you, I'm going do you to. Know? You, yeah. you talk. Yeah. Talk, yeah. Talk, oh, yeah. Talk. Talk, talk, talk. talk. <laughs> So, yeah, I don't have much. I'm not like, expecting to go on like a full eschatological no, I know. conversation. We right only now. have one minute left. Oh my goodness, before, we only have one minute. Yeah. Okay, maybe we should maybe we should segue. Just, I, yes, what? I'm okay. No, I'm good with that. Look, I don't know if the temple needs to be rebuilt or not. I'm fine with it. Okay, sure, it's a sign. I think Israel is a a uh, indication of what God is doing, like a quote unquote yeah. characters on this world that you know we should be looking towards. Interestingly enough, even if they're not saved, but they're characters, um, they're not Christians, they don't follow Christ, they reject Christ. And in that sense, it's like, okay, like, okay, but gods can still use that as a sign, uh, considering that they were biologically the, you know, the, uh, the main characters in God's word, basically. So I think that there, there could be use there. Um, do I think it's required? I don't know. I haven't studied this fully enough. Like I said, we heard this question moments before it started. So I haven't studied it fully enough to really give a good question, which means that this needs to be an actual question that comes in. I will say that New Jerusalem does come in afterwards, and there's no temple in New Jerusalem. There's no temple. So if it gets rebuilt, somehow it gets destroyed again. Well, that's the idea. That's the idea. Right. Is that the new heavens and the new earth, like the Jerusalem that comes down from heaven, is, yeah. is in, in Revelation, is the new heavens and the new earth. It's not, um, not the the physical temple that it's it's not the yes. physical Jerusalem. If, if you're assuming a, a thousand year reign of Christ, we need to do a bigger episode on this. Where I know. and we will when we get to Daniel and stuff because yeah. man, we hit that golden thirty one minute mark though. Yeah, thirty first show. 31 minutes. I don't know. <laughs> what do you guys think about all of these things? Uh, let us know. We'll be hanging out in the comment section too, uh, going back and forth with you. If you have any questions coming up as we move into Lamentations and Ezekiel and Daniel and, and beyond into the New Testament, please pop your questions down below because we'd love to discuss them. Uh, did you want to say anything? No, I think you should 
tell them to subscribe. Oh it's my your goodness, channel. yes, we never do this. I, I never, <laughs> I'm the worst. Please subscribe if you're, if you've watched this all the way through to 31 minutes and 50 seconds, please subscribe. Uh, so that way you, you help grow the channel and you don't miss any of the stuff that's coming out. All right, I gotta go. Uh, <laughs> happy reading, <laughs> happy studying. Thank you so much for watching. We want to keep producing high quality biblical content, but we can't do it without your support. If you feel called to support us, please click the link in the description under donate. Your support really means a lot to us.